it's Sarah here and welcome to Served With Love, a podcast with a mission to elevate and celebrate depth through conversations, theme chats, Q&As and more. I'm keen to give your depth and my depth a powerful platform to jam all in the service of love. Thank you for being here today and thank you for being served with love. Welcome back, everyone, to Served With Love, another instalment of some deep conversations. Today we're following on from the episode with Lauren around masking and neurodivergence. And this time we're going to look at the concept of it from a lens of difference and diversity, funnily enough. You're only going to be hearing my voice when I talk about some concepts that I've moved through in my understanding and interpretation and experience of neurodivergence. And you'll hear a little bit about my story. Uh, I'm also going to share with you another blog pod, blog post entry that relates to the topic of conversation too. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Like many of you, and I've had a few of you provide some feedback, the discussion with Lauren last week was really powerful. I know um, there was transmissions of healing taking place within that um, that dialogue and I certainly can vouch for feeling that I'm a completely different person than I was when I recorded that episode with Lauren over a week ago and I wonder how it's sitting with you. I've had a couple of parents reach out and uh, appreciate the discussion and Lauren's explanation and sharing her stories because they can completely relate to seeing some of that in their children and it's certainly prompting uh, some beautiful support of that. So these these conversations are powerful and I think it really warrants uh, a little bit more of a discussion around it to support more deeply. You know, when we think of neurodiversity, there are so many different definitions and viewpoints and opinions, just as much as neurodiversity and spectrum disorder and ADHD are, uh, reveal themselves in so many different in different ways, so too does our definitions and opinions and there's a lot of reasons for that and I'd love to unpack that in our discussion today you know really if we're talking about neurodiversity the community of um, energies that have these brain brain adaptations we're we're really talking about a description uh, for behaviors or learning styles that really don't fit the normality of the fit the mold and it's just such an interesting term because I think as Gabo Mate describes it in the absence of what we term normal we wouldn't really have any of these um these need for these descriptions and the description is really the, the key word there. It's a description. Um, and I think that's an important thing to hold, not necessarily always the pathological diagnosis. It really is a description. So I'm going to share my thoughts and these are my thoughts based on my experience, my clinical experience, my own, you know, intuitive wisdom around some of this stuff. And by no means are they anything to be putting any structure around. I just really hope and I guess my goal and my hope for this discussion is to expand awareness and ignite some stirrings just to shake up the model you know I'm not a neurodivergent person for not wanting to shake up the model you know that's part and parcel to the gifts of having a brain wide like this and and many of us do and we want to really waken that up because it's a powerful a powerful acknowledgement so you know the way that our brains are wired are dependent upon our needs for survival so all of our brains are wired 
in an adaptation process to to survive. You know, survival is our main priority in life. We will do whatever we need to to survive. That's part of letting you know the evolution of of human of man man continue. So some of us are wired differently to others, and who knows exactly why that is? There could be many different reasons for that. Um, if not to provide difference in the world, just as there are different colours and different flowers and different smells and all the different ways that nature shows up in its diversity. So the expression of neurodiversity could almost be seen as a neurological adaptation, an adaptation that expresses itself in human behaviour that is different. But again, who determines normal, who determines different? I think the issue with difference only comes when we've We've determined normality and, and again, who's determined normality? Where has that come from? It must be that conditioned society, the patriarchal model. So therefore difference is seen as abnormal and in an opportunity to possibly control and contain diversity, contain brilliance. You know, there would have been a reason um, to really numb or uh, dumb down the expression of difference and diversity in some weird, for some weird reason, <laughs> I'm not going to go into detail, but people can come to their own conclusions on what that might be. And, you know, there is indeed a strong theme in history with that um, depression of brilliance and difference and diversity. It's certainly that control, you know, we would refer to it from a Chinese medicine model as the metal energy, the, the over metal energy that's wanting to really control and manage and put rigidity around. There's safety and rigidity. Again, it's a survival adaptation. Normality is just as much as a survival adaptation is as is neurodiversity. It's just one is more artificial and one is more natural. Isn't that an interesting way to think about it? And so why is it even a discussion, you know, why is neurodiversity starting to become more and more recognised and we're starting to see the difference in, in our brain wiring? Well, one, because it's just a fact and, you know, it's just nature, but, you know, could it be the purpose to waken the planet, to bring more consciousness, more reasoning from that natural spiritual point of view? Could it be the process of breaking up from dogma, you know, to, to let go of those authoritarian styles? It could be more environmental that there's more brain adaptation due to, you know, toxins and EMF and glyphosates and different things that are, are, are different about our nature. Could it be more of the trauma expressing itself from uh, ancestral experiences or a determination that we're not safe in our current environment again for many reasons that genetic expression of trauma coming through there's so many possibilities as to why our brains are being wired differently and I certainly think that moving through um, uh, being born or developing a brain that's wired to adapt and survive and then knock up against a neurotypical world to be challenged by and then to be reborn to only reclaim those differences for the purpose of, you know, future leadership and change and greatness, I think is is just such a fascinating um, vehicle of spiritual evolution that some of us choose. So we express neurodiversity, again, you know, just to reiterate some of this point, the way that we express it can be really multifaceted, you know, and if we would try to understand it, it would be trying to untangle a big ball of wool. It would pro prove really futile to, to make sense of 
why and how and what it should look like. And again, the whole concept of diversity is that spectrum of difference. And we should be completely okay with that, even through a discussion like this. That when you hear my story and the way that I've matched up again, of course, it's going to be different. And you can't put, um, you know, you can't put a label on someone and then go, well, you don't act like her, you mustn't be. Uh, there really is such a diversity to it. And it, again, to come back to the initial kind of um, concepts is that it's really just an expression of a neurological adaptation and a description for behaviours that don't fit the mould. Um, you know, that's as basic as we can pull it back to and then how we fatten that out and put meat on it based on people's expressions and how life has created friction and and therefore their expression is going to be so unique to everyone and it's uniqueness that we're coming home to celebrating versus trying to um, conform to a neurotypical or neurodevice model. There's so much gamut for difference and uniqueness. I think what's important to consider is that your viewpoint, my viewpoint, our opinions around neurodiversity is completely dependent upon where we are each at in our own process and how we need to, how we desire to, how we want to identify with it. It's the identification with a label that supports your survival. So neurodiversity, again, is really only an issue if we need it as an adaptation tool, if we need it to survive. So how people choose to identify with any kind of labelling and their opinions cannot be judged, therefore. Not only is there a spectrum in the expression of neurodiversity, there's a spectrum in how we choose to identify with and how we label ourselves, and this seems absolutely appropriate. Therefore, that concept of judgment and any of that, you know, binary even way of looking at it is completely off the table, in my opinion. So my brain was wired differently as a form of survival very early on. You know, I was gifted to see non-alignment in others and in, you know, words not meeting actions and things like that. That was my gift. That was the way my brain wired to have this diversity of input to judge a situation around alignment or non-alignment, right or wrong, truth or bullshit. But I would never have known that without the gift of hindsight and a whole lot of healing. I would masked myself very well. Uh, I, I had the outlet of sport uh, to release my excess sensory energy that was coming in. It would often show up um, this misalignment or being able to spot the, my, my bullshit meter, I call it, uh, with me talking back to people. This would allow me, this would lead me to feel really confused. Um, particularly when I could see a person's energy, particularly adults, obviously, because they're so, you know, in their own bullshit. Um, I could see where their words weren't meeting their actions or whether there was a misnomer or a wrong or, you know, and I'd be so confused. But of course, as a child, I, I had no agency. I had no capacity to contest this, but I did often. I couldn't help myself. I'd speak up to teachers and coaches and um, there would often be that discussion with my parents at parent-teacher nights or um, I would just have that huffiness and, and, and the grueness. And, and, you know, this went all the way up to 
even in my 30s, I think it was only into my 40s that I felt really free of it. But not feeling understood as a child and with all that confusion moving through you really pointed me to believing very strongly in this neurotypical world that there was something wrong with me, that I was different. I felt that I acted differently. And so I would begin as I got older to hyper-focus on those perceived differences between me and another. And as I became tired of wearing the mask just because of sheer exhaustion, that difference would be confounded, that difference would be magnified. And this led to debilitating health issues, mental health issues and suicidal attempts and ideations and, you know, which only then confounded my sense of brokenness. Like it just got worse and worse and deeper and deeper and I literally, I saw no way out of this. You know, I didn't see it in another way. But I also know that without that debilitating opposition, without the debilitating difference that I had of myself and others, I would not have endured the suffering that led to my awakening. You know, I would not have been able to really turn things around to see what I now see. And it's interesting because all the things that I curated as a child to survive, despite them making me feel incredibly different and uncomfortable and confused and misunderstood, are now exactly the things that I lean upon to support others in my work, to help others to make a difference in the world, to serve. And also they're exactly the things that allow me now to thrive, to know what I need, what I want, what lights me up. And this could only have ever happened. This realisation, this awakening could only ever happened through the lens of my neurodiversity or, you know, the brain, the way my brain was wired to adapt neurologically. I needed that difference So there couldn't have been another way for me. There couldn't have been another way for many. And that's why the whole concept of our brains being wired differently is helping to erase the consciousness of, of the planet, to awaken consciousness, to eventually come to a place where we don't need that as the vehicle. It's really interesting when you consider it like that. So now, as a self-honouring adult with agency, with awareness, with choice, I've done a really good job over years to remove myself from structures deemed normal or neurotypical. I don't need to live in a world where I have to wear a mask. And I don't feel the need to conform or even limited by my brain adaptations Actually, I feel really supported by them. But I have to say, if I wasn't able to escape the matrix for a variety of reasons, you know, as simple as like if I was a parent in the school system, if um, I was doing a job that was very neurotypical, you know, if I wasn't able to unhook from the matrix and I think I was in the matrix and I think all of my debilitating um Health issues really got me out of that. But if I was still in the matrix for whatever reason, I probably would have needed to identify with a diagnosis or really identify with the support as my best form of survival with a label. But that's absolutely okay. You know, people wouldn't know me um, around my adaptations because they're now gifts. And so thinking back now to children moving through this, young people moving through this, adults moving through this, 
What I would have liked to have known or felt as a child was confirmation or permission that I was moving through life in a way that was okay, that I can move through life in, in that way, even if it isn't the norm. I would have liked to have an understanding about how my brain works, why it's doing what it's doing, the gifts of it, that it's okay. I would have loved to have been seen and loved and understood for my true personality. I would have loved to have opportunities for that to come out and for that to be curated and supported. I would have loved to have been in situations where adults adapted themselves to suit the diversity. I would have loved to have adults adapt the environment to make it comfortable for all neurological adaptations, all brain wirings <laughs> you know um, that might be a fantasy world but I think it's where we're going I would have loved adults to adapt themselves and the environment so that I didn't have to adapt instead and if we look at children and I guess anyone expressing the masking and the behaviors that are deemed to not fit the mold they're the canaries in the coal mine so if you feel like this or your child feels like this or there's episodes in certain environments uh, that happen where there's aggression, where there's huffiness, where there's uh, over-masking, you know, all of the different expressions of the symptoms where there's, you know, pulling back, where there's, um, you know, societal behaviours that are, are just, you know, trying to fit in. You want to check that that kind of behaviour is not just pointing to an environment that doesn't support the expression of their, their unique brilliance, their truth, their light. Maybe it's a really neurotypical environment, like a generalised environment, like a school structure. Or maybe the canary in the coal mine expression of that masking is pointing to dysfunction uh, through lack of safeties in, in relationship with friends, with parents, with teachers. Or maybe it could be expression from toxin exposure or epigenetics, you know, unresolved ancestral trauma. There could be so many reasons that the behaviour is acting like that canary in the coal mine. But for me now, I love not being stuck in a system. I love being a curious observer to it all. I love moving through life as I'm directed by my inner compass, not by a model or a dogma. I love being able to connect with my spirit and appreciate that I'm so much more soul than I am human and that then I don't need to brush up as much as much uh, friction in that. I'm so glad that I've walked the path that I've walked and I hope it encourages others too. And in a moment I'm going to refer back to one of the blogs that I've done previously in, in episodes um, that fits into to what we've discussed today. So, you know, to wrap it up, we need diversity. We need different brains and how they're wired differently. And, you know, this is only going to help our world improve and help us survive and help us thrive even more. We want that, that different way of thinking and feeling. You know, I think neurodiverse, neurodivergent minds are the ways of the future in terms of changing the world, bringing in that difference to shape things up. You know, life, life is diverse. That's, you know, obvious in nature. And also an important reminder that there is not one way 
There's never one way that is an expression of the mind versus the heart if we do ever think that there is one way, one way in anything, one belief. There's so much diversity around us. The natural world reflects that. There cannot be just one path in how we do things. We have to welcome many, many paths. And as Lauren said in the episode last week, that uh, she summed it up beautifully. It was a really big moment in the, in the chat. Let's use the identification with our neurodiversity as a liberation towards freedom versus an indoctrination of, of, or pathology. Just really supporting that as a freedom, liberation. And, you know, it's, it's the neurodiverse people that see it as a liberation. It's the neurotypical people that like to, to see it as a pathology. And there you go. That's kind of the descriptor. And even when you're dancing with it for yourself or with your child, if you are seeing that it's, it's liberating you, you are deeply connected into truth. And if you are dancing with the concept of it being a pathology, you are still being hooked into the matrix and a dogma that um, will continue to, to create discomfort and unease. So I hope that little discussion's being, been helpful um, and continue to, to to chat with me around how it's met you and what it's awakened in you and what it's recognised in you. My interpretation is obviously going to be incredibly different. That word different is just so cool now for me to really uh, lean into because that's the whole point and we celebrate it. I love difference. That's why I love all the people I get to meet in my work. Um, I love their, their light, their soul. I couldn't care what the expression is in, in, the, in its different forms. I love, um, I love our uniqueness. So I'm going to read through a blog post. These posts are on my website and I'm only going to read a section of it. The first bit and the last bit, the middle bit, if you want to read more about it, you can jump onto the website and have a little look. So this was written eight years ago and so it's interesting now with the knowledge and understanding that I have that it all fits into my jostling with awakening. Here's the post. Have you ever taken the time to recognize your identity away from social and cultural constructs? When you do, you discover your core essence, your soul bounties that can never be stolen. The journey to awakening the conscious mind challenges us to confront our fears and our deepest illusions. Consciousness lays in truth-seeking Truth that is detached from social and cultural context. Truth of an existence that consists of you in your purest form. A place of peace and harmony and an awareness of our purpose for which we are here to share, learn and teach. This is your true essence. The pursuit of purpose-seeking is not a hurried one, instead a lifetime assignment that teaches us to deal with change and uncertainty as commonplace. This process is one that should, ex should exclude the influence of others purely because we have to isolate life's questions in relation to ourselves alone to really discover our truth. Try now to ask yourself the following questions without considering anyone else. What makes me happy? Can I rely on myself? Why do I do the things I do? What makes me need the attention and approval of others? Consider now how close these answers are to your current reality. 
My own journey made me question my perceived reality and what a complete crock my so-called reality was. And so began a series of key steps, one coming after the other, that framed the formidable task of getting to know me and discovering my true nature in all its guts and glory. Through following your intuition and signs to new directions and teachers, you really can't go wrong. Every step, whether forward or backward, occurs for a distinct reason, whether you realise it or not. There are no coincidences in life. Once committed to your journey and seeking your soul's purpose, you will not look back. I reflect on the breakdown that led me to begin this path with absolute gratitude and love. It triggered a set of events that has led me to a place of peace and ease. The seeds of my spiritual awakening began in hospital, where the concept of hope was at the forefront of my thoughts. I remember writing in my journal about hope, stirred by the confronting nature of mental illness that surrounded me. The mere meaning of hope relied on trusting in an outcome, wanting something to happen, desperation and desire. We all know this feeling. It's a daily prayer for many of us. Life-changing questions dawned on me. Who controls the outcome? Who determines if my dreams come true? And that was my moment of surrender. No matter how hard I tried and how perfect I intended my every action to be, this wasn't going to liberate me. The proof was there, plain and simple. My actions hadn't brought the life success that had been promised to me. They'd brought a lost, exhausting, exhausted, empty soul. And I'm going to skip the next bit where I lay out the steps that I kind of move through in that process. And I'm just going to move to the end bit. The biggest takeaways to come from my journey, lessons that I will continue to implement, are the value of continual learning and knowledge gaining, trusting in synchronicities and the greater plan, being open to listening to and receiving messages, and asking for help and looking for signs. And a final word, becoming conscious throughout your spiritual journey must be supported by being present and mindful of the now. Accepting change and knowing no person or situation will be the same tomorrow eases the need for control. Surrender to the flow and strive to bring the best possible energy to all situations. Accept that you can influence but not control tomorrow's events. Control is indeed the nemesis to mindfulness and consciousness. How present are you? Are you really listening? Can you identify where you are on your purpose-seeking path? Wherever you are in your path, allow each step to present itself in divine order and timing. Know that you are exactly where you need to be right now. So my hope for this conversation was to inspire you to consider neurodiversity, uh, ASD, ADHD, those spectrum of um, descriptions of our way that our brains have been wired to adapt to our environment and to survive. And hopefully it invites a lot of compassion and awareness around our behaviours and the role that unmasking has for all of us in terms of coming to our truth. It's the way we meet the world with healing and hope and potential and love and truth. And uh, it certainly is the way forward. 
I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. Reach out with any feedback. Thanks once again for tuning in. Sending love. Thank mm-hmm. you.